0: Uh, we're glad to be able to uh, dive into God's word together this morning. And so, if you are, uh, this is your, you've been with us recently, you know that last week we just started a Changing Neighborhoods series. Um, the Changing Neighborhoods series has kind of burst out of the fact that my wife and I moved here uh, two months ago today was our move in date. Um, I don't know if that was a clap or not. Like, we'll, we'll if it's fine. Um, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not like asking. I just wasn't sure. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, so we've been changing neighborhoods, which means that we're trying to figure out, you know, the lay of the land, figure out how uh, Powegians, which I just found out is the, uh, the, anyways, Powijans. Um how Powegians work. Um, we are, uh, we're just learning the lay of the land. And so for us, it's the idea of changing neighborhoods. There's a lot of transition in that. Um, but for... The idea of the series is what does it look like when we go beyond just changing neighborhoods because we've moved and changed locations to changing neighborhoods because we want to see how God wants to move in the location in which he's called us. And so this idea, if if you're joining us, you missed last week, we talked through changing neighborhoods, through taking action and looking at the story of Jeremiah 29, putting it in context and looking at how God had called his people to go into the neighborhood, to go into the city and to have an impact on it, to pray for it, to lift it up, to work alongside of it so that it would prosper and that they would understand the true meaning of prosperity, which isn't health and wealth, but it's the peace and shalom that only comes with relationship with God. And so that was last week this week we're going to look at changing neighborhoods through compassion and so we're going to be uh, in Matthew 20 uh, sorry Matthew 14 which is page 1524 and then we're also going to be uh, in John 6 which is a different page and I'll let you know that later but before we uh, dive into God's word will you join me in a word of prayer um, as we get ready to open our eyes our ears and our hearts to what God has through his word for us this morning Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is living and active, and we thank you for the fact that you have each and every person here this morning for a reason. Lord, every person in this room is someone who's loved by you, formed by you, and someone with whom you want to grow deeper and have them know you more. And so, Lord, I pray that in this time that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in an incredible way to each and every one of us, that you would stir up passion and compassion in our lives, so that we could change our neighborhoods for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I had the opportunity uh, in the summer of 2005. Uh, I was just, I was 20 years old, not quite 21. And I went with, this, I was attending Azusa Pacific University and had the opportunity to go to India, to Calcutta, India, as part of a missions team. Uh, For some reason, we decided to go in May, which is the hottest time of the year there. So I remember walking by a a bank on the street called uh, and You know how banks like show the temperature. Um, The the temperature was 115 degrees with 100% humidity. Um, And so it was just, you just were walking in a water park, like just sweating. Um, But it's one of those where we, it was just tons of people here. That at the time, there were 15 million people in the city of Calcutta. At the same time, there were 15 million people in the continent of Australia. So think about how many people are in this city. That there's just you're walking down the streets and there's just layers of people, um, just doing life on the on the street and and just being they're just living out there. And you you get to go there and it's like there's so many people. It's a place I loved and it's a place I hated because there was so much brokenness and poverty. And your compassion that just goes out. Um, And it's just such a difficult thing to be amongst such a great need. And so I showed a couple, I have a couple pictures for you. The first one was just this welcome to Kolkata uh, picture that I remember grabbing there. And there was cars everywhere, um, there was people everywhere, um, but it's just this place that again was so full of people and so full of needs that it became really difficult to be there for too long of a time. We were there because we had the opportunity to go serve with the Mother Teresa Missionaries of Charity and go to the Mother Teresa homes. And so in the morning, we would go to the, the, the mother house, which uh, we'll show a picture of in just a moment that says, Jesus, the light to be lit. This is where uh, her body's laid, and, and we were able to see this, that the idea was that every morning you go there and you remember that we are the light that gets to be lit. We are the light that gets to be in a dark place. And you would have like these little plantains, which are like mini bananas. And then you'd have this chai tea and you would get ready for the day. And so in the morning I would go with a couple of the, the other guys on the trip. We would go to nabu which was a place that was a little farther away that was for boys that are kind of, teenage age, um, and they were just developmentally disabled or, or physically, and so there's plenty of stories there, like the time that one of the kids bit me in the back. Now it's not the time, but uh, we could go into that another time, uh, but we there's just a lot of stories. There's a lot of need, and, and I got to uh, connect with, the, with the, um, a few of the kids there, and, and it was a really powerful time, but again, it's a big need in a big place. And then we would come back for lunch, and in the afternoon, we would go to a place called Diadon. And Diadon was a place for younger kids, boys and girls. Um, It's kind of the same thing. We kind of go through developmental things or health or physical uh, things as well. And so while I was there, I met this boy named Joey. And we're going to have a picture of him because he's like the cutest kid um, outside of my daughters. Like, he's the cutest kid. But he was just so sweet. Um, I was 20 years old, and I'm like, man, if I could just, like, take you home and adopt you. I would love to do that. And he was just such a sweet kid. Um, and it was just a, I really connected with him though. And I had compassion and, and connected with this, this great city that has a great need, but it, man, that is overwhelming. And I know for us, we, we can look around at our cities, at our neighborhoods, where we live, and, and there's overwhelming needs that for some of us, maybe we're in a place that maybe their biggest need isn't, they don't have a place to live or food to eat, but maybe it's the fact that their homes are filled with stuff, but their hearts are empty, that they're missing something, and they try to gather more things and build bigger houses to build bigger barns to put the more things in, but there's that emptiness that no matter how much we try to fulfill our lives with stuff, we're never going to be able to be fully complete. Maybe it's people who are students that you're experiencing just brokenness in the schools and people that are hurting and they feel pressured, and they feel this overwhelming emptiness because there's a pressure to succeed and a pressure to keep going and a pressure to be perfect. And maybe that's the need that we see. Maybe for some of us it's that we hear the fact that there are billions of people that live under $2 a day across the world, that we look at the fact that there are a billion people that don't have running water. Maybe it's the fact that we look at there are 27 million people that are modern-day slaves in human trafficking, and that is what stirs up our compassion, that maybe there's something in our lives that we look at, and we see this great need, and we want to help, and we have compassion for it, but we don't necessarily know where to go from here. And so this morning, we're going to look at Uh, the feeding of the 5,000, which is the feeding of the 5,000 men, not including women and children, so the number was much greater. But we're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to look at it in Matthew 14's version. Uh, And this is one of the miracles that is in all four Gospels. And so we're going to look at the Matthew 14 version. And then we're going to, that's kind of the, not quite the 30,000 foot view, but it's kind of a broader view. And then we're going to go to John 6 and hear a little bit more about the conversations that were happening um, in the midst of this story. So we're going to start... In Matthew 14, starting in verse 13 and 14. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now this word compassion is, is equivalent to the word for intestines or guts. Like the idea of like you ever have that thing where you hear a need and it gets you straight to your core. That it causes just this uneasy feeling knowing that there is a need going on. This uneasy feeling, this wrenching, this gut-wrenching idea. And it's not so it's not just compassion like, oh, I feel bad. It's this compassion that is just felt in the core of ourselves. That Jesus feels this compassion at the core and he looks. And in this case, he ends up... um, Healing their sick. In the Mark 6 version, it talks about how he, he taught them. Uh, we see in other passages, Matthew 9, that he has compassion upon the people because they look as if sheep without a shepherd. That our God is a God of compassion. That Jesus, the reason we have compassion in our hearts is because we are made in the image of a compassionate Savior. And so we see that he had compassion and he was able to heal people, to, to, to be able to teach people. But then we're gonna take a few moments now to look at how we respond when there's a great need and how when we respond, when compassion stirs inside of us and what we do with that compassion or rather what we sometimes don't always do. So we're gonna start with the first point we have for the, a, a couple lessons about compassion. Is that some of us, number one on your notes or the, the top note, some of us have compassion for those in need but feel that it's too overwhelming to meet it, to meet that need. Some of us have compassion for those in need, but we feel it's too overwhelming to meet the need. Let's read together in verse uh, Matthew 14. Just jump down to verse 15 next. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, the, the disciples, let's, let's take a moment to show that they care about the people. They, they have compassion upon the people. They're saying, look, Jesus, there's, we're in a faraway place. The sun's starting to set, and, and the, there's no grocery stores nearby. There's no place for them to, to buy anything right here. So send them off now, because there's a great need. There's thousands upon thousands of people here, and we can't feed them, so send them away. Have, have someone, we, we care, but we want someone else to take care of it. That sometimes we have this overwhelming passion, compassion, we have this need that we see, and we say, God, it, it, it bothers me, it frustrates me, it's difficult, but I'm not able to fulfill it myself, I'm not able to meet it by myself, so can you just have somebody else take care of it? That's not my responsibility, that's, that's not my opportunity, that's not my ability to do that. And so we, we kind of almost say, God, I care about this. I'm compassionate about this. I, I want to see these people come to know you. I want to see these people be fed. I want to see people have water. I want to see people freed from slavery. I want to see these things, but God, that's too big for me, so please let someone else do it. It's too overwhelming. I can't meet it myself. Please just have someone else do it. And we see Jesus' short and sweet response in verse 15, 16, I'm sorry. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. That, that the people in need don't need to leave the presence of the people who can help. That the people who can help bring in the people who are in need and are used in incredible ways to do that. That it says, look at, We have compassion over these things, but we can't just say, that's somebody else's job. Let somebody who's more equipped, has more education, understands the problem greater, understands all the systemic issues that causes that to happen. Let them take care of that. I feel bad, God. I have compassion. But that is not my job, or that is not my responsibility, or I am too overwhelmed to even know where step one is. And then Jesus says, step one is you do it. You give them something. They don't need to leave. I hear your heart, you want them to be fed, Jesus is saying, but the idea is, you do it. I do it. We do it. And so we see that there's this idea that compassion, this idea of wanting to do something without action or deeds, is not an option. Let me read from the epistle of the letter of James verses 2 through 14 and 17. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action is dead. That We see this great need. There's countless needs, countless areas in which we can have compassion stirred within us. But we have to do something about it. We have to figure out how it is that God is calling us, whether you individually, whether us as a church, both and perhaps, but to see the need and to recognize we want to be a part of the solution and knowing that we can't just say, you know, be warm, be well-fed, go with God but for us to say, let us help feed you, let us help clothe you, and show you, God, through our actions. Number two, God tests whether we focus more on the provision or the provider. God tests whether more on the provision or the provider. We're going to be jumping now to the John 6 version, uh, which can be found on page 1656, if you're using the church Bible. But, In the John 6 version, now we're getting a little bit closer view of the conversations that were taking place amongst the disciples in this time. So verse 6 starts with this. Jesus asked this only to test Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. That he's saying, listen, just look at the logistics, Jesus. Like, how much it would take for us to be able to buy, not even for these people to be well-fed and satisfied, but just a simple buy would take eight months' worth of wages, eight months' worth of hard labor in order for that to happen. So he's saying, Jesus, I care. We care. We we, we know the need, but it's too much for us to do on our own. But as verse 6 talked about, Jesus was testing him because he already knew what he wanted to do. There's a quotation from Archdeacon Farrar, and he says this, when they laughed, referring to Mother Teresa, when they laughed at St. Teresa, when she wanted to build a great orphanage and had but three shillings to begin with, she answered, with three shillings, Teresa can do nothing. But with God and her three shillings, there is nothing Teresa cannot do. That when we look at a need, when we look at an issue, when we look at a struggle, when we look at something that we know not to be right, We know that there's compassion that's been stirred up, and we want to move forward and do something about it. We can't just say that's somebody else's problem. We say, okay, this is what I need to do, but if we get so focused on just the logistics of this is how much it would take, like Philip focusing on the provision that would be necessary, we lose sight of the provider who's the one that gives us provision in the first place. We recognize that Teresa with three shillings on her own can do nothing. Teresa with God in her three shillings, there's nothing she could not do that if we focus on the ability that what we do have to surrender what we are capable of giving, when we're able to do that, then we have the potential to focus not just on the provision and the need, but the one who cares about those in need more than we do even that we see that there's a provision versus the provider. And I wonder, Jesus said he tested Philip in this because he knew what he was going to do in that moment. He knew that he was going to be able to feed everybody and it would be a testament to who he is and bring glory to the Father. But he tested Philip. I wonder, what is it that God wants to do in our neighborhoods right now that is not happening because we're not responding to that test. I wonder that Jesus says, I know what I want to do in the San Diego County. I know how I want to have an impact. Who's going to say that's not my problem and say, Lord, heres I know the provision is too great, but I trust in you as the provider. And because of that, I'll give you what I have, what I can for some of us, it might be something as simple as I have a spare bedroom, and I know that there are people either across this county or across this world that there are children that need adoption, they need a place to live. And we say, well, I have a spare bedroom, and, and my kids are grown up, and so now, could I fill that bedroom with, with a child that is in need? Maybe for some of us is that we've held on to our finances and we're saving them for a rainy day. And maybe some of us need to remember that it may not be a rainy day for us yet, but it's a rainy day for someone and there's a way in which we can be a light to them now. Maybe for some of us, it's just God needs to stir up a compassion to recognize that while we were broken and far from him, he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we may have eternal life because he wasn't so focused on just the provision, but he knew as God he was the provider for giving us eternal life. And so we have a God who sees a great need, And wants people to step up and say, how can we be a part of you building your kingdom, God? How can we be a part of giving you what we can, knowing that you can do more with it than we could on our own? What is it that Jesus already has in mind for us to do in our neighborhoods, if only we would act on our compassion? Number three, there is great power in one person with great compassion. There was great power with one person, in one person, with great compassion. Let's read John 6, verses 8 and 9 together. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? That, That if... Some of the disciples were saying, Jesus, I have compassion. Just go send them away because we can't take care of this. The need, is too, the need is too great and overwhelming, so we can't meet it. So send them off to do that. Andrew's a little bit different. He recognizes the compassion. He has the compassion. But instead of saying, let's just send them this way, he's saying, well, I don't know what I can do, but ah, man, I found this one boy who has his lunch. I have this one boy who I could find. And so he's trying to find a solution. He may not be able to do it himself. But he's actively trying to find how that solution could come about. So that's another level of being able to have compassion. And then we see the boy, the boy who brought his lunch, the boy who had five loaves, two fish, and Andrew's saying, but how can that be so much among so many? He, he recognized that there was a provision needed, but he trusted in the provider to provide for that. And so then he says, what, what can this do? And this boy is just like, I, I got my Lunchable here. I got my snack and I wonder. I wonder how many of the other thousands had a Lunchable or a snack in their bag and never offered it up. I wonder what we can learn from looking at the youngest people in our congregation, looking at the children and the youth and their heart like, childlike faith in order to say, well, this is all I've got, and recognizing that it could be our youth and it could be our children that change our neighborhoods. And so we look at this idea that the boy's just like, this is what I have. But we see this because one person with great compassion has great power, not because of themselves, but because they're offering that compassion up and those actions up to God. And so uh, Pastor Dan and I had an opportunity to go to a conference in Irvine uh, this past Friday. And while we were there, we heard the story of Bishop W.C. Martin, and he is from Possum Trot, Texas. That's a real thing. I had to look it up. I've never seen a Possum Trot. I'm sure it's exhilarating. Um, but Possum Trot, Texas, and it was a congregation of 200 people, and they're in a, this is a poor area where there, there weren't street signs, there were no stoplights. Uh, the people, a part of the church, were not overly wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, quite the opposite. But he had felt God calling him and his wife to adopt. And so he shared that with the church. And out of this congregation of 200 people, he and his wife adopted four, but out of this congregation of 200 people, 72 kids in the area were adopted. It takes one person with great compassion that great power can come forth. That we look at our our homes and say, I have a spare bedroom. What's holding me back. We, we look at our finances and say, listen, I, I know I could, I could live off of this and I could be comfortable or, or maybe I have an opportunity to live uncomfortably so that someone else may experience some comfort. Maybe it's one of those things where we just recognize that we shouldn't look down on what we do because it's too big, but rather ask God what he would like to do through us. Edward Everett Hale says it this way, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. I may not be able to save the whole world, but I could save one person. I may not be able to feed everyone and solve all of human trafficking, but I can save someone. I will not allow what I cannot do to stop me from what I can do right now. And then Mother Teresa and her words say it this way. If you can't feed 100 people, then just feed one. If you can't feed 100, feed one. Reach out to one person in your school that's having a hard time and is broken. Reach out to one child and invest in them. Reach out to one person who is homeless and needs help. Reach out to one because we can't say the need is too big. We can't do anything about it and allow that to be a reason to not do anything about it. You are one person. We are one church and God can do mighty powerful things with one person or one church with great compassion. Number four, the smallest act of compassion in the hands of God is greater than any act of compassion we can do on our own. The smallest act of compassion in the hands of God is greater than any act of compassion we can do on our own. Verses 10 and 11, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There there was plenty of grass in that space and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as sorry, those who were seated as much as they wanted and he did the same with the fish that whatever was offered, this little boy who has his lunch and his lunch and says, this is all I have. Andrew says, hey, look, this is all, all he has. And Jesus says, okay, bring it to me. Have everyone sit down. And he takes the offering, the smallest act of compassion that he could, that this boy was able to offer. He takes that, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he multiplies it. That whatever act of compassion, whatever actions, whatever resources, whatever we have, whether it's our time and it feels like we're just, we're so busy and it's so overwhelming, we don't even have the energy to invest in anybody else. And so he says... But this is all I have. I have I have an afternoon or I have an hour or I have whatever. And saying you use that if that's what's holding you back. If it's finances and it's like I, I I'm not I'm I'm living hand to mouth right now or we're having a hard time or we have this debt or we have these situations that are holding us back, we still have the opportunity to say, but this is what I do have, God, and you can do more with what I do have than what I can do with all the things I'm holding on to myself. Or whether it's just the brokenness in our lives and relationships we feel like we're not even good enough to help somebody else and that's what's holding us back is how could somebody who's broken help somebody else who was broken but we recognize that we've been made new that you are a new creation in Christ so let's not allow the things we cannot do stop us from the things that we can Let's not allow the excuses to excuse us from working in God's kingdom and building it in a way that brings glory to his name, not to Palmerado Christian Church's name, but to his name, so that not to us, but to he, him be the glory. So what is it that you, that I, that we are holding back? Archdeacon Ferrar again says this, if you bring no gift, how can God use it? The lad must bring his barley loaves to Christ before the 5,000 can be fed. If we bring no gift to God, no matter how small of a pittance it may feel in regards to the, the ocean of struggle and pain and need, even if we just have one rock of compassion and we throw it into the ocean, there can still be a ripple effect that we may not even know about this side of heaven. Are we willing to surrender and to throw what we have Offering to Jesus, recognizing that he could take it, and he could bless it, he could break it, and he can multiply it. Are we offering, are we willing to give the smallest act of compassion to see how God can make a big impact? Lastly, God can meet every need on his own, but he chooses to use us. That he could say, like he did in Exodus 16: bread's gonna be coming from the sky, bring your umbrellas. He could say that I'm gonna feed you just purely, supernaturally, because God is God and he can do that. But instead, he chooses to use his people to bring about his purposes. And so let's look at verses 12 through 13, the last, last few verses of this section. When they, had ha- when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten that there were five loaves, two fish, equals thousands fed, and 12 baskets left over. That's not human math. That's God math. That's not human calculation or logistics. That's God moving above and beyond anything we can hope for imagine within our own strength. And I love this little, this little nugget here when it talks about how there were 12 baskets left over. Does anybody remember how many disciples there were? 12. So imagine this, imagine Jesus says, everybody sit down, everybody's in their their spots, the bread that's being offered by this boy, the fish is offered by this boy, is being taken and blessed and broken and multiplied, taken and blessed and broken and multiplied, taken and blessed and broken and multiplied, and then all of a sudden you just see people like, I'm full, I'm full, I'm full, and each disciple, each of the 12, comes with their lunchbox, comes with their basket. And they start filling it up. They say, oh, are you, are you finished, sir? Okay, thank you so much. Oh, are you finished, ma'am? Oh, okay. Thank you so much. Oh, are you finished? And they take it, and in their hands, they had physical, tangible proof of how God works miracles. They had seen with their eyes, they had heard with their ears, and they had held in their hands proof that God's provision is greater than anything we could do on our own. And we would hope that they would, anytime there was a crisis, anytime there was an issue in the Gospels, we would hope that they would remember that and say, oh, no, 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 no. Remember, remember when Jesus fed the thousands and we held in our hands proof that God can do greater things than we can even hope for or imagine? Remember that? Let's not worry about the winds and the waves and the storm. Let's not worry about how the Pharisees want to attack us. Let's not worry about these things because God has got this. But they don't. There's this little section in Mark 6, version of this, where right after this, this feeding of the 5,000, they're going and they're on the boat, and Jesus walks on water. And there's this verse right around, I think it's verse 52 or 53, but right around that area, it talks about how they were scared because they did not understand about the loaves. Because they did not understand this is a God of miracles, that Jesus is God's son, that Jesus can do greater things with a small act of compassion. People who don't say, this is so overwhelming, I can't even deal with it, have it be someone else's problem. For people who say, I'm going to focus less on the provision and more on the provider. For people who recognize that God could take a small act of compassion and multiply it. He could take it and bless it and break it and multiply it. That we could see that he moves in an incredible way and he allows us to be a part of that. And so, because he had, each disciple had those, each one had their own basket filling it up. They had tangible reminders, but you and I cannot look upon them with disdain because you and I have seen God work miracles in mighty ways, and yet we still struggle to remember his faithfulness. You and I have had physical things that we've been able to see with our eyes and hear with our ears and hold in our hands Miracles. Whether it was a child that we never thought we would be able to have. Whether it's holding the hand of a loved one that wasn't meant to make it through that surgery. Whether it was that time that there was a huge financial need and somebody came through and we could hold in our hands tangible proof. And so may we remember that God is able to do more than we can ever hope for or imagine. May we remember that he uses us. He used the disciples. He used the boy. He used us, people like you and like me, to have this incredible impact, to feed thousands, but more so to recognize that they knew who the bread of life truly was in Jesus. So for us this morning, I want to close with a quick story about my friend Roman, who he was on that missions trip to India with me. Roman was born in India, and he happened to be a child that was in one of those Mother Teresa homes. That's a family from Washington State adopted him, brought him into their family, and some 19, 20 years later, he was able to go to the home in which he had stayed as a child. That he was able to meet some of the caregivers that were there when he was there. That he was able to see firsthand and what an honor it was for us to be a part of that holy moment. To recognize that that family saw that There was a great need for children to be adopted, and they said, "That's not. I'm not going to say that's someone else's problem. That's me. I want to take care of that. They recognized that what they could offer, a home in Washington, uh, money, education, whatever it is, they wanted to offer that act of compassion to God, and he used it in an incredible way that through that one family that he was able to experience a whole nother life. He went back there with us, and he ended up going back again and working in Nepal to help fight human trafficking because one family could see a great need and said, I can do that. I can meet that need. I'm, I'm only one, but I am one, so I will not allow the things I cannot do to stop the things from what I can. Would we, as a church, as individuals, be willing to be that one that stands up and says, that need is great and huge and overwhelming. I can't solve it all, but I can do one thing. And if you do one thing, and 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 we start to see this area change for Christ, and we start to see lives continue to be changed, and not to our name, but to his name be the glory, that blessing would overflow, and that we would see, as Matthew five sixteen talks about, that people would see your good deeds and give your heavenly Father the glory, not us. And so, As we look at compassion this morning, I encourage us, this this last photo is this photo I took there from a quote from Mother Teresa. It just says, let us do something beautiful for God. That if you see a need with a student, with a friend in your class, and you recognize that there's brokenness there, let us let you do something beautiful for God. If you are someone in your workplace and you recognize someone's going through a hard time, let us do something beautiful for God. If you have an extra spare room and God stirs it upon your heart to foster or adopt, let us do something beautiful for God. If you have a need and a desire to go on a missions trip and to go and see brokenness and see blessing, to see those things, let us do something beautiful for God. If you see an area that has a great need, Let us be the ones to stand up, to be one person with great compassion, to see great power from God's flow through that, and let us do something beautiful for God as individuals and as a church. Father, we thank you so much for this time, God, and I pray that you would stir within us passion and compassion, that you would stir within us and speak to us in areas in which that you are calling us to do things, to step out, perhaps as the boy who says, this is all I have, God, but all I have in your hands is all we need to see lives changed. So Jesus, may you stir inside each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, may you convict and encourage and guide and comfort. And Father God, may we continue to trust in you as the one who had such great compassion on us while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us that while we were still broken and full of sin that you set Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we can be compassionate, Lord, because we were made in your image as a compassionate God. May we bear your image well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning, if you're new with us, uh, what we do in this time is we have an opportunity to take communion. So if you are, if you are someone who is, has a relationship with God and you know what this means, what this means is that we take the bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken, that ultimate act of compassion that was offered up so that we may have eternal life. And we take the cup that represents his blood that was shed, that wipes us clean, makes us his white, as snow and takes us in as far as the east is from the west. And we take that in remembrance of that sacrifice, in remembrance of that act of compassion, that you and I are now the recipients of that grace that comes through faith. And if you're someone who doesn't know the Lord, you're here, you're visiting, and, and maybe you're just not sure about that yet. Please do not feel pressure to, to take the bread and the cup on your own because we are so glad that you are here and we're so glad that you're a part of us this morning. And there is freedom if you're not in that place to not feel pressure to do that. But for those of us that do know Jesus and love Him, this is a holy moment. So may you, over the next few moments here, be remembered, remembering, sorry, His compassion, remembering the freedom that we have, and remembering that there is great power with one person with great compassion, and we are the recipients of that through our Lord Jesus Christ. So take that as you feel led, and we'll come back together for a time of worship in just a couple moments. amen so uh, i'm going to close with a a, a famous quotation from mother teresa as that theme has kind of run throughout our service today that uh, someone had asked her how she can have an impact too and her words were find your own calcutta that for us there she also says there are calcuttas everywhere we need only to see it so that we who live in this area here we may not have the calcutta of you know 15 million people on one city, and and they're all unable to have food to eat and things like that, but perhaps the Calcutta we see are those who are broken emotionally and mentally and spiritually and who need to be able to know that there is hope in Jesus Christ. And so for us, as we leave this morning, to have the heart, to have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the heart to be open to our own Calcuttas, to ways in which God has called you individually, us as a church, to have an impact change our neighborhood for God's glory and to build his kingdom. So I want to send you off with that. But lastly, and recently in my quiet time, I've been um, reading this Celtic blessing um, over, over everyone. And so when I was reading this, I thought of you all as our church family. So I'm going to ask, I'll do this probably frequently uh, at the end of the service as a blessing uh, for you. So if you feel comfortable with, it, with doing this, I ask that you just open up your hands in a, a sign of receiving this. If you don't, that's totally okay too. But here's a blessing that I want to send you off with as we close our service. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm, May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. So until you enter our doors next week, may you know the Lord Christ is with you. May you know how much he loves you. And may you know that we have the opportunity to change our neighborhoods for him. God bless you all. Thank you so much for coming. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.